Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Houston Rockets head coach Kevin McHale. If I tell you what, for Vikings fans... Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it now behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of The Nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Oh, they let us back in the building. Seku Smith from NBA.com and the Hangtime blog. Lang Whitaker, my co-host, uh, is actually in my seat in the studio <laughs> in Atlanta. I am. Get up and get out of there. Uh, but we're back and uh, glad to be here after a, a five-month lockout. Uh, Christmas Day games under our belt. The start of the 2011-2012 NBA season is underway. Lang, we got so much to catch up on. Um what what in the world have you been doing since last season? Um, breaking in my couch a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to explain my existence to my wife. Which she's like, what are you doing today? Well, I can't really do a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've been um, waiting like everyone else, I think, for, yeah. for the lockouts end and uh, kind of following along from afar. I didn't, you know, I'm not a business expert. And I didn't, I didn't think I was gonna have to need to learn how to cover all that stuff really fast. So I, I kind of left that to the experts and uh, did some other stuff. Did a lot for Slam and um, some stuff for GQ, New York Times, some other people. But right, um, mostly I was like anyone else, waiting for this thing to get over with. <laughs> yeah, chomping at the bit what for the doing? NBA season to start. Um, yeah, I, I was doing what I always do best, fellas, and that is. Uh, meddling with and coaching the Smyrna Spartans. Um, great season this year for the Spartans, by the way. Six of our seven teams made the playoffs. Uh, two of them, our nine-year-olds and our 12-year-olds, won Turkey Bowl championships. Uh, I have a T-shirt. Sweat, <laughs> prove it. Um, I will be wearing it the next time you see me because I wear them every day. Uh, but, no, no, it was, a, it was fantastic fun. And, you know, the – the unintended benefit of the lockout, you know, you have some time to do some things you normally wouldn't be able to. True. And uh, it gave me a lot of time to spend with, with those kids and enjoy them. What do you, are uh, you the, are you like the, one of the coordinators? Are you a coach, head coach? What I'm, do you do? I'm a, during, I'm on the board. So during the season, I'm, I'm one of a board member and I handled all the equipment. I mean, I made sure the kids, you know, had all the proper equipment. So I you're, you're really stuff. the equipment manager. I'm a glorified equipment manager. Okay. And then I'm I'm a coach during the Turkey Bowl. I I was a defensive coordinator for the nine year old team that gave up one touchdown in four games and won a, won a championship. So, thank <laughs> you. My question is: See, I always thought the Smyrna Spartans was one team. No man. And you said there were seven teams. I was I was impressed at one point when you told me that you won a title this year. But one you know one or two titles with seven teams, the, the percentage is not as good as I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're talking about these guys are playing in age groups and they're playing against. Countless, you know, twenty some other teams in our league. I mean, this this is heady stuff, boys. <laughs> Maybe you haven't seen the pictures on on Twitter or or on Facebook. I mean, you know, give us our respect. But speaking of Micah, by the way, Lang, you like how he just chimes in. There. What if, what did you do uh, this off season, uh, Papa Hart? Yeah, well, uh, had had a, had a kid, uh, or my wife did. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's funny because you're talking about football. We had this whole discussion the other day about whether or not uh, Baby Hart would be allowed to, to play football down the road. You you obviously, it's, you seem to be okay with it, but uh, my wife doesn't seem too thrilled about it. How does your wife feel about your kids playing football? Honestly, the, the first year, uh, 
she was okay with it, you know, because my son Gabe played cornerback, so he didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of hitting out there. Right. The next year, he played quarterback, and we ran Wildcat, and he got hit every two point six seconds. Right. And she's like, uh, "We need to re- we need to have another discussion about this football thing, you know, because the the contact is what you know scares people, obviously. But uh, she's good with it now, man. She's as she's as wild and crazy as any football mom now in the stands, screaming and hollering. She's you know she's all in now, so it's that's a good thing. So, well, um, I tried to tell it, my wife that more than likely it would not be something that would be uh, <laughs> all, all, something she'd need to worry about. It'd be like worrying about him being a Formula One driver or something. It's just <laughs> right, probably not right. going to be in his wheelhouse based on his father's athleticism. <laughs> yeah, but that you should have told her that's before Uncle Seku sees what kind of kicking leg he has because <laughs> one of our one of our only deficiencies, uh, you know, with the Spartans is our kicking game, and we need a good kicker. So I, I actually still have eligibility, so I'd be happy. To, uh... <laughs> well, you got you also have a beard, which would be a slight problem. So. Uh, um, but baby heart's got four and a half years to get ready. Right. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm coming call. I'll be at the front door like uh, Mark Rick, you know, <laughs> with my recruiting package. <laughs> Johnny be good. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, again, the, the time that we had, unfortunately that we had in the fall was, was good, but now that we're back to basketball, um, things do feel normal. I don't know about you guys, but everything seems much more normal now after watching the Christmas day games. You know, watching Derrick Rose hit a game-winning shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, watching Kevin Durant go for 30. You know, watching LeBron just manhandle the Mavericks. I mean, all of that stuff happened really – even when they said the lockout was over and the season was back, it didn't feel back to me until watching those games. And I'm wondering, did you guys feel that same thing? Like, all right, now we got games – not preseason games, but now we have real games – the stars are out, you know, uh, full day, you know, five games slated basketball to kick this season off. Was it was it for you as satisfying as it was for me to watch? I told my family yesterday that uh, I told him I was like, let's do presents early in the morning. <laughs> and then from about noon until about 1 a.m. I was on the couch um, watching every single game that was on. It was it was awesome. I thought the way all those games were pretty good games, even yeah. the even the blowout. Dallas Miami game. Miami was so entertaining to watch, um, and that was such a compelling story that that was fun to watch. And, and uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a, a it was a, a great way for the NBA to come back. I mean, I kind of liked only having the two exhibition games, and in the run up to, to the holidays, it, it happened so fast, and you know, it was kind of hard to. I mean, everyone, I think a lot of people talked about those Clipper games in the, in the preseason, but it happened so quickly, and all of a sudden, the season is just there. You know, and and yesterday I thought it was just a, a great way for all of us NBA fans and and people around the league to to get back to it. The uh, yeah. the the play that sort of got me like remembering why why the NBA is so great was uh, the the uh, the tip pass LeBron had to yeah. Wade. I mean, yeah, you know, with with all the talk about them being you know the hated villains last year, and we can get into all that later. But uh, I forgot you know, in that time that we're off, how fun actually it is to watch the two of them working together. And, you know, now that this is sort of their second season, it just reminded me, like, they're, I, I was definitely on the on the bandwagon of haters last year, but I feel like <laughs> they, they paid their dues last year. They went out in an excruciating fashion. I'm just excited to see them do, you know, work magic now. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Were, they look pretty awesome. The, the strange thing for me yesterday was realizing, and, you know, you go all day, you start off the day, and and that Nick Celtics game was fantastic. Yeah. I thought just the dynamic of you know the the back and forth. Rondo was ridiculous. Yep. Um, and I was defending Rondo a few weeks ago when <laughs> when the rumors came out about him getting traded, and I just thought, are you kidding me? Yeah. And, and you know, and he he solidified in my mind yesterday why it's such a ridiculous idea. But finishing the night with the Clippers and Paul, Chris Paul and and Blake Griffin and that crew and Karan Butler, and you look around and you go. And Chauncey Billups. I mean, the Clippers are flat loaded. And I'm wondering, do they become this season's Miami? Are they the team, not necessarily the hated team, but just the team everybody's watching to see if they can kind of live up to the hype? Um, You know, because I I, I took the bait. I mean, I, I got them being a power in the West. Not I just think, well, team. one of the differences is that, you know, when, when Miami, when the when the Heat formed the, the Heatles or whatever you want to call it, that happened like in 
like June, you remember? And then we had like the whole summer to talk about it and, and to yeah. pump it up. And and this, this Clipper thing is just so new. I mean, it's barely two weeks old, maybe. Um, that I, I, I kind of like the, there hasn't been a chance for the hype to, to build up. Um, I also, I also think it's different because the Clippers are, you know, historically the Clippers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've struggled for a really, really long time. And, and, you know, if, if there was a way for expectations to be low, um, going into a situation where you to gather a bunch of guys like this, that's probably it. You know, people sort of expect the Clippers to, to have something go wrong and for it not to work out. But the way these guys are going so far, I mean, it's going to be tough to figure out a way to, to stop them. I, I My thought was that maybe they wouldn't have the depth um, that some of the, like, you know, championship contenders were going to have. But I, I'm kind of wondering if that was wrong because uh, their bench looks pretty strong too. Um you know, they've got all these guys coming up, like even like Randy Foy, you know, these guys who can score and do things are, are on their bench and Mo Williams. And I, I think they're going to be a, a good team to watch this year. I, I love I love the idea of Paul and Blake and the dynamic. The part that was really thrown into the mix later that I think really makes them a, a serious team is Chauncey. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that was on display you know, in that opener, I think uh, I think that's one of the like really interesting stories this season is is how does Chauncey go to play in the two? Yeah, you know this guy who's a, who's been on one his whole life and has been really good at it, um, an all star point guard and a championship winning point guard, and now he has to play off the ball more than he ever has. Um, and I wonder how he adjusts to that. I, I think he has a game that's pretty well suited for it. You know, he's got a good outside shot, and, and um, this way you can run. CP3 off picks and and have him um uh not have to carry the I mean handle the ball as much as he used to but I I'm curious about how all that plays out and I think that could be something really interesting especially for like basketball junkies to watch a guy like that right and see how he does it so I I think that'll be fun to watch I think it makes a lot of sense because at this stage in his career like you said moving him off the ball kind of saves his energy a little bit more I, I love Chauncey but I definitely feel like he he's kind of worn down in, in seasons past as they've gotten into the playoffs and stuff. And I feel like this has a chance to, you know, keep them a little more fresh. One of the- I think I think it works for he and Paul both. Yeah. You know, it's like that two tailback, you know, thing in the NFL. You Neither one of them should be worn out. Yeah. Especially with an abbreviated season. And then the both of them leaning on each other to, to handle some of the, you know, playmaking responsibilities. Neither one of them has to take sole, you know, uh, responsibility to scoring. Yeah. in the backcourt anymore. I mean, it, I think it's a dynamic that if they can manage it, which I talked to somebody who was at uh, Clippers camp and, and, and said he walked in and, and watched how they were all kind of interacting together. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works. They, I know Chris Paul referred to Chauncey as like his big brother or something yeah. um, when they first got him. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dy- dynamic works. The guy who really intrigues me, though, Lang uh, and Micah in, in the Clippers situation was the guy who had eight blocks in that opener. DeAndre, yeah. I mean, you talk about a guy who went from – you remember when he got drafted and everybody's kind of scratching their head thinking this guy could be a bust and this, that, and the other. I mean, now he's he's a legitimate starting center in the NBA and in, in it looks like he could be a really good one. Yeah. Not just not just some average, you know, seven-footer running around, but I'm talking about a guy who impacts games on both ends of the floor. One thing before we move on from Chauncey was one of the things I did this summer was I went out to Vegas – to the uh, impact basketball gym out there. And, and there was a lot of guys out there working out this summer, you know, and uh, from John wall to uh, um, Richard Lewis, there was a bunch of the wizards guys were there. Um, Kyle Lowry was out there, but Chauncey was out there um, and, and watching Chauncey play out there. It was kind of fun to watch. Michael Lee and I were there. And we, were, we were talking about how fun it was to, to watch him play because he played in those games exactly the same way he plays in the NBA games. You know, he's, he's not about yeah. athleticism really, but it's, it's knowledge and knowing where to be and how, how to get there and how to preserve himself. And I, I, I talked to him after one of the games and mentioned that how it was fun to watch. And he said, yeah, you know, my game is my game. I don't, I can't really turn it down. I can't slow it down. I, this is just the way I play. And I always play this way. And now he's kind of being asked to, to change it a little bit. And so from that standpoint, I think that'll be interesting to watch. As for DeAndre, um, I mean, look at the centers who've played with Chris Paul. And, and and offensively, at least, CP3 has made them um, more valuable than they might have been before, from Tyson Chandler to Mecca to all these other guys. So I, I really think DeAndre is in a, a pretty awesome place um, to have CP3 there with him. 
uh, and Chauncey and Blake Griffin. You know, I mean, there's so many guys. Yeah, totally. There's so many guys you got to worry about that. You know, maybe uh, DeAndre slips under the radar a little bit, and and offensively he can he can get his that way. But then defensively, I mean, he was cleaning up after guys last night. Yeah. Yeah, I talked to Mark Spears of, of Yahoo Sports the other day, and it was funny. He said he walked in the Clippers camp, and he said he looked on both sides of the gym and thought to himself, this is the Clippers? Yeah. You know, he, like Karan and Chauncey on one end and Blake Griffin and Chris Paul on the other. He was like, man, they, you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And that just – that only serves to heighten the, the tension between the, the two teams that share the Staples Center because the Lakers on the flip side, have undergone some dramatic twists and turns uh, since last season, obviously. Tried to trade for Chris Paul. Um, reportedly tried to cr- trade for Dwight Howard. Neither one of them happened. They traded Lamar Odom. Um, Kobe's got a busted hand. Not that that's anything new, him playing through that kind of pain. But what do you see, guys, in terms of how the dynamic shifts in terms of attention? I know the, the Lakers will always be the Lakers, so the Clips, Clippers going to have to do a whole lot more than make, make a big trade to still – you know, all of that thunder in, in L.A., but it certainly shifts some of the spotlight, I would think, uh, this this season specifically in L.A. I thought yesterday watching the Lakers, it was it was fun to watch them because they, they were hustling and they were really getting after it more than I think they have in a couple of years. Um, I don't know if that's just having the new energy from Mike Brown there or having guys like our, our dude Josh McRoberts. Um, Steve Blake was playing really well. You know, uh, Andrew... Uh, Gudelak, I don't know how you say his last name. <laughs> um, some of those guys looked really good, and and I thought, um, you know, for the for the Lakers, maybe they haven't necessarily improved their roster from you know one through twelve. But um, I mean, who wants to who wants to bet against Kobe? <laughs> right, right. You know? I, I just think again, it's just such a such a dynamic season. You mentioned Mike Brown, new coaches. Um, that LA situation, how could you imagine more pressure on two coaches in one town? Yeah. You know, Mike Brown and all the heat he's going to be dealing with, you know, replacing Phil and coaching Lakers. And then how about I got Vinny Del Negro? Yeah. You know, four months ago he was coaching the, the feel good story, you know, Hey Blake, you got Blake Griffin and you know, Eric Gordon, this young team. And now you got, he's got some serious pressure to, to get this team not only into the playoffs, but for them to be a factor in the Western conference. It's, I mean, again, I love I love the idea of the abbreviated training camp and free agency for reasons that I know the teams and players can't stand. Yeah. But I I knew it would produce some storylines that we probably otherwise would not have had going into this season, and that to me is is one of the huge ones. Um, and I'm and I'll be curious to see how that not only that works out in the Western Conference, but if you f- flip it over to the Eastern Conference, you know, uh, the watching that Knicks game and watching Mike D'Antoni. In, in the new dynamic they have on that team with Tyson Chandler and then Mike Woodson on the bench. I just think there's a lot of, lot of subplots floating around early in this season lying that, you know, who knows what it'll be come, you know, come February and uh, the trade deadline, you know, in, in the March, but to just to kick the season off, I don't know that, that you could ask for better, you know, subplots and storylines around the league than we'll be now yeah uh, after what we went through obviously to get here well let's talk really briefly about what we went through to get here on, i think on the phone now we have uh our man steve ashburner from nba.com steve you there i'm here gentlemen how are you <laughs> how are you man <laughs> steve what's happening say cool good to talk to you man did you, you get sir? steve did you get bonus points for all the time you spent in hotel lobbies all summer <laughs> I got the uh, I got the points for the nights I was actually in my room, but there were some nights I wasn't dragging tail back to my room until about five a.m. Oh, wow! Um, you know, <laughs> sitting in the in the lobby. Uh, you probably could have saved money on on the uh, room rate and just uh, brought a toothbrush and uh, <laughs> camped out right there on the uh, on the couch. But um, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's funny. I go to these games now, or go to go to camps uh, during that very brief uh, training camp period. And I get people like thanking me for the way you know our coverage of the uh, the lockout. Right. I'm like, isn't that isn't that like thanking me for making you eat Brussels sprouts? I mean, <laughs> you really wanted that stuff, but um, you know, I guess if you're if you're diehard NBA and and you don't have you know potentially you don't have a league or a season, um, you want to know why and you want to know what's going on. So I'm, I was glad to be a part of it from that standpoint. 
And uh, look, in today's job market, I figure what's better for job security than in a lockout to be the guy covering the lockout. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Steve, did you, uh, and and we won't pound this thing too long, but I know there was a lot of doomsday scenarios. There was, you know, several deadlines where people thought, you know, this is it. The season's gone. Did you ever get to the point where you were seriously concerned about the season vanishing this 2011-2012 yeah. season going up in smoke. Yeah. Um, you know what? I was on a roller coaster like a lot of people, and um, uh, I got most hopeful and optimistic in, in early October when when almost out of the blue, David Stern told the, the media after a session that, you know, we, we talked about 50-50. And all of a sudden, you know, after budging from 47%, which is what the owners wanted the players to be stuck with, it's a nice thing to be stuck with, but still, 47%, all of a sudden 50-50, and that had a ring of, hey, this sounds like a deal. Right. There's a deal to be had. And that was in early October, and then months passed, and then I started to wonder. I, I had originally thought we were going to end up with a 50-gamer. Back when the lockout was imposed, I figured they're going to use that model. They know how to do that. Yeah. We'll probably end up with 50 game. Well, when we got to the point after Thanksgiving, where, or no, I guess it was a little bit earlier in November, where they gave the owners gave a, you know, this is going to probably be our best deal, and the players decided to go to the lawyers. Then I thought the season would be lost. I thought once they dissolved the union and, and we're going to throw this into federal court, it was going to be out of their hands, it was going to be off their timetable, and I didn't see how, given the uh, the hard feelings involved, that they were going to be able to negotiate a settlement uh, in time to even get us 50 games. So I was surprised from that point, but that was, my, and for me, the darkest hour. Well, Steve, let's, let's move on then and talk about basketball. Um, how, <laughs> I know you're, you're our, our Derek Rose expert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did the Bulls look to you yesterday? What did you take away from that win, um, you know, above and beyond that great floater he made to, to win the game. Yeah, very, very raggedy game. Um, you know, not, not up to bull standards uh, by any means, particularly the, uh, the second half with their, uh, their defense. Um, it, it was a uh, – it's kind of game where they, you know, they, uh, they played terrific when they needed to uh, with 54 seconds left and, and grabbed that one. Um, but I, uh, you know, I think that we have to we have to wait and see if we're going to decide whether or not they're they're much improved right. over last year. Last year was fine, but last year didn't quite get the job done. Um, and and I think they know it too. I mean, in the in the locker room afterwards, you know, Brian Scalabrini, you know, we stole this, we stole this, <laughs> and um, it was. Uh, which I guess is what you have mascot for, isn't it? And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, but, but Richard Hamilton had a tough debut game with, uh, with the Bulls, picked up early fouls, didn't contribute much. Um, the joke going around the, uh, the Bulls, not, not the team of the players, but the media around that team, was, uh, well, the Bulls are 1-0 when, when uh, Richard Hamilton scores six points or more, because that was the standard used for Keith Logan. <laughs> Okay. And how they fared when Bogans got all the way up to six points as a shooting guard. So um, yeah, I mean they need to get more from Richard Hamilton. I think there's still a big uh, short. Uh, they can use one more big guy with Kirk Thomas being gone. But um, you know Derrick Rose, uh, he you know you talk about the great players adding things in the off season. He had a really long off season. He was very busy, but his three point shot was was on the money yesterday yeah. and. Uh, I think in terms of leadership, um, you know, those are the strides he'll, he'll show. Yeah. Well, Steve, you, you mentioned Richard Hamilton. Of all the, the guys they could have added at that one critical spot, and I know he wasn't necessarily a guy you knew would be available, but do you think he's the right fit, and do you think he's the guy that, that pushes the Bulls over the hump at that spot? I mean, is he the guy that they needed? Well, you know what? I guess – I'll say yes because they needed they needed scoring and they needed a sense of having a real shooting guard and and so from that standpoint you know they, he comes with a reputation he comes with a with a resume um, Derek Rose is, is a fan uh, the other guys respect uh, Richard Hamilton for what he has done and I think from that standpoint you know yes that's important I 
Now, as a pure player, I like, say, a guy like uh, Aaron Aflalo. All right. Now, I know he wasn't going to be easy to get. They would have had to do some manipulating with signing trade um, because he was restricted with Denver. But in terms of just the sheer athlete and piece to put on the floor, I liked him. On the other hand, he would have had to develop as a scorer beyond what he's been to this point. And I don't know that Chicago, you know, they, they were that interested in, in having that happen on, on, on the job. You know, um, Richard Hamilton has proven – um, I think Chauncey Billups made a crack the other day that, well, he, you know, he's got plenty left because he hardly played the last two years. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's something that's a sore point with uh, with Hamilton. But from that standpoint, yeah, I guess as a uh, as a you know a proven piece, I, you know, I, I wondered about his attitude. I, I wondered more about um, you know he's not he doesn't create his own shot. Right. So things, the ball has to start somewhere else while he moves without it. But you know what? That still creates space for Derrick Rose. Yeah. And uh, I like to think of space as Derrick Rose's fuel. <laughs> and that, that, you know, if he has room to work, I mean, then, then he can be very effective. Can we say it's the space is the final frontier? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> One thing, Steve, was, was was there any talk, like, you know, you mentioned that it was a little ragged and not quite as sharp as probably they wanted to be. Was there any talk from the players or anyone about Maybe that being a function of the lockout and, and kind of not having the time to pre- prepare? No, you know, and, and I think most teams, at least that I've dealt with, uh, are on board with this, but particularly at a Tom Thibodeau team. I mean, he has so much, um, you know, in baseball uh, terms, you know, see the ball, hit the ball or whatever. You know, it's just, yeah. it's like this is our next game, so this is the most important game. Everybody's in the same boat. Nobody likes their schedule. Nobody likes the training camp that they had. If you bellyache about it, you know, why should anyone feel sorry for you compared to the other 29? Right. So, no, they have, they have not gone to that at all. I think there's an acknowledgement that, that there's rust all around yeah. in this league right now. And, you know, for some teams, the offense is ahead of the defense. But, but I think, by and large, I guess defense is ahead of offense if a coach is trying to install new things. But I don't think that um, – and, and, and nor should they. I, you know, even diehard fans really care too much to hear, um, well, yeah, but we haven't had enough time. And we, you know, uh, yeah, well, get your business in order, and then you do have enough time. I think, <laughs> I think the, other, the, the other shoe on that, though, that, that'll drop is, you know, maybe they should start the season on or close to Christmas every year. Or maybe they should do 66 games, but maybe, you know, spread it out to about five months instead of, of four. Well, you're talking paydays, and so that's not going to be real uh, popular right. with either the the franchises or the uh, the players, but fact is, for for getting America's attention, um, this is about the right time for the NBA, and for getting quality of play, maybe 66 instead of 82. However, you spread them out would would have some benefits. So I think maybe people just need to enjoy this novelty of how this thing's going to play out, and uh, you know, then we'll compare it to the stodgy old 82 next year. <laughs> Steve, what are, what are these teams? You talked about the Bulls. What do the rest of these teams in the East stack up? You know, based on what they did last season and what they did, you know, in free agency to now. I mean, is it still the same hierarchy in your eyes? You know, Heat, Bulls, in whatever order you want to put them, and kind of everybody else after that, or or has it changed at all? Well, I think they're you know they're teams in decline. They're teams on the rise. Um, you know, I I'm I'm curious about the Knicks. I think that the um, you know, the front court they have. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Mike Woodson added to uh, D'Antoni, which, you know, I mean, if, if anybody needed a defensive coordinator, I think it's the guy who, you know, so, um, I mean, he made offense such a fun part of basketball again almost that, that you know, that's a, that's a very intriguing wrinkle for that squad. Yeah. With Tyson Chandler, you know, to protect the rim, their backcourt, you know, is going to have to really um, elevate its game and, and play over its reputation. Um, but but I don't want to tell anybody they can't do that. Uh, I had somebody tell me yesterday, you know what? The Boston's not going to win the the Atlantic, and and the Knicks aren't going to win the Atlantic. Look out for Philadelphia. Now I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do like that sort of potential. And yeah. and, and Philadelphia's a young team; they, they they're coming back largely intact, so um, they should be able to improve from within. And um, yeah, I'm not I you know the Southeast. I, I think Miami's going to win the, the, the NBA title. Um, and, you know, happy to be proven wrong. 
but I, I just think that they went through what they went through last year for a reason, and this is that reason, and, and they'll be that much farther ahead now. Um, the other teams out there, you know, uh, poor Orlando, um, I don't know. I still don't know why Orlando has become anything but a destination market. And, and maybe it still is for anything except a, uh, you know, uh, a world-class dominant center. But Shaq didn't stay, and, and, and now Dwight Howard uh, just seems determined to, to leave. And um, I, don't, I don't really get that, but I don't have Stan Van Gundy in my ear, you know, 66 or 82 times a <laughs> year either. <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned improving from within, and, and you know, I, I know you were – around during this last lockout. How much of that do you think plays a part of, especially with this shorter season, um, you know, teams having that core in place and, and being able to kind of just pick up where they left off from last year, not like instead of like a Golden State where you're trying to kind of reboot the whole thing? I think that's that's almost whichever your preference is, you know, you can make a, a strong case on behalf of that. I mean, San Antonio won the title that year. Okay, yeah. well, they had, you know, they had the big guys and, um, you know, a veteran coach with, with Pop. And, you know, that, that sounds good. But the New York Knicks got an eighth seed, and they made it to the finals because they got hot at the right time. Right. So, you know, uh, maybe we won't know everything there is to know about certain teams um, until, until we, you know, we're in the playoffs already. I think a couple of years ago, and not to say they're anything like any, any sort of super team, but – the hottest team down the stretch two years ago were the Milwaukee Bucks before, uh, you know, and then uh, Andrew, Andrew Bogut got hurt, and that hurt them. But it's sort of like if a team gets hot at the right time, um, with, with fewer games to separate teams in the standings, you know, maybe, maybe somebody grabs a, a low seed and, and stays hot through a round or two. Um, so I old teams are going to suffer because games are crammed together. But they also know each other, and they, they, they know how to play, and, and they know how to cut corners um, and, and play efficiently. You know, young teams have, have energy. The teams that have stars, you can, rely, you can ride a star when you have three games and three nights. You know, Miami can ride each of those guys, uh, Bosch, James, and, and Wade. Um, but teams that have depth, you know, can, can throw more numbers at you. So I, I think it's almost just sort of like a, a – you know, a condensed version of what we find in, in a regular NBA season where, you know, you can make an argument for any of those approaches. Steve, I have a question, and, and actually for Seku and Lang as well. How how do you guys think uh, this season will sort of compare to the last lockout season in terms of, at least from my point of view, and I guess maybe it was just like this last time, we just didn't have the internet and people, you know, following what people were doing in the off season. but it seemed to me like guys really stayed in shape they played a lot of basketball in a lot of different leagues and stuff. Do you feel like they've kind of learned that lesson from the last time around, or, or is it too early to speculate on that? It's probably too early. I don't think we've seen anybody come in grossly out of shape. Um, Ron Artest looked like he treated basketball as a hobby um, and not as a, as a livelihood. Uh, boy, was he horrible yesterday. But um, Excuse me, uh, but he, he is, of course – Metal World Peace. Yes. Well, yes. I, I, um, we haven't had the Sean Kemp, you know, type of thing. And I guess Sean Kemp, actually, his numbers weren't so bad. But, you know, Vin Baker, um, people point to the lockout as being a real dividing line in, in his career. We haven't really had that. Um, I guess it's, it's early. Because, you know what, we saw the same thing financially. That, you know, while these players learned and they socked away um, money, and they're not going to be in the same position as, as Kenny Anderson or some of the other players from the last lockout where they, they need that, that very first paycheck. But, you know, we started to, to see some some fidgety players when they were missing their first paycheck this time around, too. So whether, you know, any of us learns from history or, or doomed to repeat it, I mean, I guess that old thing kicks in. It's probably early. But I, I, don't, I don't think we have anybody whose career is going to really suffer. I mean, Baron Davis is hurt, but he didn't come back fat, right? That's right, right here. So, you know, if, if some of the prime suspects to do that didn't didn't succumb to sloth and and gluttony. I guess uh, maybe they'll be okay. I, I I think Micah made a good point that it was interesting. To, maybe maybe it is because of the internet. But we, you know we saw these guys play all summer. We saw Kevin Durant score sixty six at Rucker, and we saw all these other guys show up here and there. And, and you know John Wall and the guys in Vegas, and we were able to kind of keep an eye on all these different guys. And um, you know maybe maybe it's just because of the world we live in now that it was more visible than it was 
back in 99. But, um, you know, I, I was I was watching the games yesterday and thinking, you know, I, I think everyone looked like they were in pretty good shape to me. I mean, it looked like things were kind of like tuning into a regular Christmas day. Yeah, you know, and here's the thing I heard, too, about that 50-gamer um, back in 99 was that, well, the quality of basketball really stunk, and we don't want that again. Nobody's interested in that again. And I, and I covered that. I covered, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves as my beat at that point. But I don't I don't really remember, oh, this game is putrid. I can't, you know, I don't yeah. remember a lot of that back then. I mean, it was a typical NBA, you know, menu of games. Some were great. Some were good. Some were, were mediocre. Some were stinky. And, and, it, and, it, and it seemed like about the same ratio as you'd have gotten. Now, you could point to things and say, well, this guy's not shooting very well. And, and we can go back and, and say, well, the shooting was down, the scoring was down. But, hell, scoring was down for a bunch of reasons, including domineering coaches um, uh, at that point. So, and then you got to a full playoff bracket. I just don't think that that, that season is the redheaded stepchild that everybody you know, wants to make it out to be right now. Yeah. Steve, uh, you said you covered the Timberwolves beat back then. I was just curious if uh, Garnett, did he got, grab any throats his first game back, the last lockout? Or? <laughs> Only in pickup games if it was Joel Prisbilla or Rick Rickard or something. No. He, uh, <laughs> Rick, yeah. Rick. Was there any doubt that KG would come back in, in prime midseason? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, no, he's the one guy nobody was worried about. <laughs> uh, you know, he had me yeah. thinking back to the X-Man uh, when he grabbed Wes Matthews' throat <laughs> way back when. You know, you know, and, and I think, guys, I think it's really a function of a, a different generation of players that that you see them come back and look the way they did. Because, like you said, Steve, except for Ron Artest and maybe a couple of the guys, you're going to look at most of these guys. Kevin Durant was playing flag football with frat boys during the summer. I mean, this <laughs> is a right. different, you know, the, the, the under 26, you know, generation in the NBA right now is a totally different generation of player than what we saw when Sean Kemp and those guys went through the lockout. These guys would have been playing basketball no matter what. You know, the Chris Pauls, the LeBron Jameses yeah. in their generation. They're, they're going to play no matter what. That's interesting, yeah. Well, I mean, that's good. I mean, because that, that love will come through, and, and I think it already has to, to the fans. Well, Steve, do you – I mean, we, we talked a little bit about the East, Eastern Conference. What about the West? I mean, we, we were rambling on about the Clippers and the Lakers and that whole new dynamic. Um, but you know, who else in the West stands out to you going in as a team that could possibly win the thing? I mean, I know Oklahoma city is a team we talk about. Nobody's really, I don't, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I have a hard time seeing Dallas duplicate what they did last year. Who else in the Western conference to you could, could be a team that comes out of there? You know, Memphis, I think would get a lot more, uh, play except that, they're almost like a an Oklahoma City light. I mean, they're, they're, it's almost the same story, but just not quite as um, not as much sizzle because you know Kevin Durant is a, is an MVP candidate, right. and um, and Memphis doesn't necessarily have that. But they're you know they're the sort of the obscure market that that shouldn't be able to attract or keep good players, and they've got a a pretty dynamic uh, you know bunch on their roster now, and and I think that. You know, Memphis is, uh, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Um, I'm going to get a chance to see, and I'm excited about this, uh, you know, Minnesota here early. And, and um, uh, you know, I think they're very intriguing after being uh, largely forgettable for for a few years here. Uh, but they've got pieces, and, and they've got the most uh, established professional coach they've ever had, uh, yeah. you know, taking over. Even Flip Saunders, for all the, the playoff uh, appearances he made with that team, you know, when he came in, he's a guy who still needed, you know, he didn't have any reputation. This is the first time Minnesota's really brought on a guy who, he's a professional coach. And uh, and I think that these guys know there's no wiggle room and, and you know, Edelman's in charge. And, and uh, you know, if he if he embraces the youth and, and the development there, um, you know, they can make a quick climb. So I think there are, there are you know, there are a bunch of teams. There's two teams that, to me, no one is talking about, and and one of them is the the Spurs, um, considering they had the best record in the league last year in the regular season or in the West in the regular season, and then the Atlanta Hawks, uh, you know, one of the three teams that's made it out of the first round for three years in a row, um, and I, I don't know if it's just because those two teams haven't changed at all from last year. I mean, they're they're basically have the same core coming back, and you know, they're not considered to be in that upper echelon. But I, I think there's probably some teams, like Memphis last year, who 
going into the playoffs kind of get hot, like you said. Maybe that, maybe they could kind of repeat what they did, what happened in '99. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know the Hawks. I mean, you see them up close. Like, you know, I saw them in the playoffs against Chicago, and uh, Jeff Teague was a revelation, and, yeah. and uh, Larry yeah. Drew. Larry Drew was impressive in the job he did. Yeah, I mean, and and like you bring up a good point. The the teams like the Spurs. I think going in, a lot of people assume that those veteran teams, Spurs, Lakers, you know, uh, Boston, if they came back intact, the the abbreviated season would be a benefit to them. Steve, do you think? the abbreviated season really benefits anybody or is it really just like any other season where you're starting from scratch and by the time you get to the playoffs, the team that turns it up and is capable of turning it up then is going to be the one that wins it anyway. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's different. I don't know that it, 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 it leans one way or the other. To me, it just seems like you may need to watch minutes differently because of the, uh, the compressed nature of games. You may need to back off on practices. Veteran teams are good at that. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, Doc Rivers, you know, knows how to, uh, you know, but he wants those guys ready when the when the popcorn is uh, is in the air. You, you know, he doesn't care about the practices, and I think you can see more of that. But, um, you know, time management is huge, and 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 staying healthy so you're healthy come the end of April. Um, that's most important. I don't know. I don't know in terms of well. There's 16 fewer games, so that helps the veterans. But they're scrunched in, so that that means they're they're going to get burnt out more. I, I don't know. It's I, I I think that's flip a coin territory. Well, Steve, I don't. We're not worried about you getting burnt out. You've been going nonstop since July 1st. <laughs> I don't know. Would you get a two week break between the finals and uh, lockout coverage? Uh, well, there was draft, and then uh, <laughs> no, I, they had meetings. I was I was uh, between O'Hare and LaGuardia. And um, I'm I'm just dreading that come April 15th, New York State's going to be looking for taxes from me. <laughs> well, we listen. We'll 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 pass the hat and get those paid for you, man. How about that? I'll I'll, I'll take it. You bet. All right, <laughs> all right. Yeah, NBA.com, Steve Ashburner. Thanks for joining thanks, us, man. Steve. Anytime. All right. All right, Steve. Safe travels. Bye, guys. Lang, uh, th- this abbreviated season. That's the one thing that. I spent so much time yapping about the abbreviated season, abbreviated season, and how this affects this and how this affects that. I feel like now it's 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 like uh, the Y2K deal. Like you <laughs> spend all that time talking about it, and then it, it, you get to you get to the start of the season, and you realize it, it's not really going to affect the teams that are going to win championships. They're not gonna you're not gonna win or lose a championship because there are 16 fewer games. Yeah, I wonder though. Like like you know, Steve kind of hit on Doc Rivers, and and I think Pop is probably good at this too. Is you know, uh, like the Lakers played last night, they played tonight, and they played tomorrow night, you know? And yeah. and at some point, I think coaches who, who've um, been there, done that, are, are probably going to be able to handle this a little better. Like the Celtics, um, you know, the, their Achilles heel this year might be depth. They don't seem to have a lot of depth. And, and if you look at uh, a coach who'd be able to, to – ration out those minutes and, and keep guys fresh hopefully and and kind of look bigger picture instead of uh you know micromanaging i think doc rivers might be the perfect guy for that and i, I think pop is probably kind of right there too uh, you knew i was going to bring up the hawks didn't you uh it wouldn't be a hang time podcast <laughs> if you didn't bring up your beloved hawks which by the way i i didn't mean to start a fire about the hawks a few uh, a few weeks ago but we had a uh, I think we had a blog table. The first blog table we had kind of asked about certain teams and and what we thought. And I just said that I thought the Hawks' stagnant work in free agency the last couple of years would finally come back and bite them this year after year after year with the same core. Um, and I, it, you know, it wasn't meant to inflame Hawks fans, but I really believe it. I think you can only stay with the same core group for so long before they kind of plateau, right. and you got to find some way to shake up your mix. Do you, 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 you know, you and Mike are both are, are, are Hawks fans, and I obviously have a connection to the team, and we always find a way to talk about them. Do you feel like they haven't done quite enough to to stir their pot and and, and take that next step? Because that's that's what it looks like to me. I kind of think the pot got stirred for them in the playoffs when Heinrich got hurt, you know, and I thought maybe, you know, swapping out Bibby for Heinrich was the first step in that, yeah. um, you know, kind of changing the, changing the energy of the team and, and changing the way they would play. And then when Heinrich got hurt, Teague kind of just came out of nowhere and, and, and was really, really good. He played really well against Derek Rose in the playoffs and was scoring, you know, 
had a, taking care of the ball, passing it, and and I thought that was a nice little um, change. And I, you know, I think one of the things that's been a problem the last few years for the Hawks has been their bench play. Um, and I and I think bringing in Stackhouse, Tracy McGrady, these guys who've been around for a long time, uh, I, I I think it's interesting, you know, and I, I think they finally have some veteran guys in the in the locker room. Um, who've been through this, who, who guys might listen to. And I, I think, I think it's an interesting change. I, I'm, I'm curious. I, it, to me, it's kind of interesting that no one's talking about them at all. Is, yeah. Well, is, somebody, somebody brought it up to me the other day, said they, you know, that the Hawks look great. If this was 2000, like they're like, man, they went out right, and got right. half the 2000, you know, 1999 or 2000 all-star team, which I thought was pretty cold. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I, I got my eyebrow raised on whether or not, they're going to do what they should do at this stage of the game. But it's because I think there's been so little movement of that core group. You know, you got those, you know, you got Joe Johnson, Josh Smith, Al Horford, and Marvin Williams who have been mainstays. And I I just, in my own head, Micah, you can speak to this as well. I just, in my own head thought they had to find one person in that group to move, to bring in what they've been lacking, which I can't believe we're still sitting here talking about them needing a bit, you know, a, a, a big man to, to help, fortify that that front court you know you see the you see the Knicks get a guy like Tyson Chandler and you can only imagine could, could you see Tyson Chandler in the middle of the Hawks team with Al Horford on one side and Josh Smith on the other you know I mean that's the kind of dynamic you would you would hope for as a Hawks fan or somebody who watched that team that they would find a way to add that kind of player to their mix and instead they lost Jamal Crawford and don't add that kind of guy that's that's the only reason I think I said that and I don't know I could be wrong I mean uh, we'll see but I just I just feel like they're one of those teams that in this season they would have had a chance to really take a step if they'd have added that extra player and I think there are a lot of teams like that guys that if, if you add the right player or take the right one away it changes your dynamic in this season specifically I'll just say this about the Hawks to me this kind of like the the blessing and the curse of them is that uh, it seems like every year they get to the playoffs and they never get all the information they need. They always get just enough information to say, well, look, if things happen this way, you know, this this team as constituted could hang around. I mean, the first year they make the playoffs, I think everybody thought that that was it for Woody. I know, I know Billy Knight probably thought that. Uh, then they take the Celtics to seven games and now all of a sudden, you know, right. they got a whole new lease on life. It's kind of, to me, the same way, you know, I mean, then two years ago, well, everybody gets hurt against Cleveland and they get swept. Well, if they hadn't been hurt, who knows? And now, same thing with Teague. He's kind of the revelation, and now they feel like, well, let's kind of see what we have with Teague before we, and they just kind of always get to that precipice without ever really knowing whether or not they have something they can run with. Wait, before, and one more thing, Sekou, before we uh, get out of here. Have you uh, seen any of the highlights of uh, that new point guard in Minnesota? <laughs> I was trying to make it through the entire first podcast of the year without a single mention of uh, Ricky Whitaker. I mean Rubio. <laughs> and uh, but no, I, you know what, Lang? I, I watched one of their preseason games. The high, or at least uh, he only played one of the two. Yeah. And uh, and I was impressed. I have to admit, I was impressed. I don't look. I don't think he's going to be the rookie of the year because th- that team's kind of loaded as it is with a lot of young guys, and, and t- he's and not going to score a lot. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> your favorite point guard, his mentor, mentor. <laughs> <It's> Obi One, <laughs> sort of like our relationship. <laughs> but uh, but I do think I do think he's going to be fun to watch, and I, I think he'll be able to uh, to hang with these guys. And and um, you know what? Like people people are excited about the Timberwolves now. I I am. I mean, I am literally pumped up to see just exactly what they're becoming. Steve mentioned it earlier. They got they got Rick Adelman. I mean that yeah that in itself, you know, leads me to believe that they're on the path to to something significant because they got a, a real serious coach in there who knows how to mold young teams and make something out of them. Um, I'm big and, on I'm big on Derek Williams too. I think I think he might get the rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, totally I, like, I love, love what they've done. I love the mix. I love, you know, you see Beasley and Kevin Love come back and they're kind of vibing, you know, and going to be playing a certain way together. You add those other pieces to the mix. I, I like what they're doing. I can't believe we won't spend a lot of time this season on the podcast making fun of David Kahn and whatever moves they make in Minnesota. That, that will be a blow that we won't have that in our back pocket. But, you know, we, we'll adjust. Um, you know, we'll, we'll find other people and other teams to – to toss zingers at uh before we get out guys 
we have to quickly Brandon Roy retires uh, yeah. with the knees. Greg Oden, another setback. We we talked a lot about Portland last year on the podcast. The the news, for whatever reason, never seems to get better where the, the Trailblazers are concerned. And I, it, it sickens me to see this team have to go through this again. But here, we, here they are again having to kind of, you know, dig their hands in the sand and try and put together something – where do, where do they go from here now with no Brandon Roy, you know, Odin out again, so his his return delayed. What do you think happens in Portland? You know, I, I, I was looking at their roster actually last night and thinking, well, if you're going to look at it from the bright side, you, you have LaMarcus Aldridge who's healthy now. Right. Um, they have a lot of really good players on that team. They have Gerald Wallace, uh, Wesley Matthews. Uh, they picked up Raymond Felton. And, and now you get Jamal Crawford coming off the bench. Uh, Camby. You know, they got Kirk Thomas from Chicago. I think they have a lot of really good players. And I think the thing that really is is could be a big benefit to them in this short season is Nate McMillan, um, you know, who, who gets guys to buy into what he's doing and, and gets them to play hard. Um, so I, I, I think they could, you know, they, again, they're, they're a team no one's talking about. Um, so maybe they're going to be one of those teams that, that kind of takes us by surprise. But – I agree with you about Roy. You know, it's a shame we only got to see him play five seasons. Um, and this is a guy who, you know, just in the playoffs last year, <laughs> that game four against the Mavericks, um, you know, he, he looked like an all-world player. Yeah. And now we now we don't get to see him again. Yeah. Um, he's one of those players, you know, that you look back and you add him to that list of, you know, guys who's, you know, whose career – flickered you know flickered out too soon because yeah. there's on there's no telling what type of player he, he could have been had he stayed healthy and odin might be one of those guys who never makes it onto the list at all and uh again just unfortunate for for the fans in portland and and that franchise a tough blow but uh guys we're gonna have uh, you know this is the first of many this season obviously uh gonna be plenty of time to talk basketball here on the hang time podcast i for one am very very appreciative uh to be back here. I know, I know you guys are as well. And, uh, Lang get, I got a little treat for you. Third drawer on the left. There's NyQuil. <laughs> Mix it with a little milkshake from the, uh, the, the cafeteria there and, and suck on that thing. Get rid of that sinus. You, you forgot, know. man. This is the, it's the day after Christmas here. Michael, Michael <laughs> had to come let me in the door. There's no one over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're going to get you healthy, get you back, you know, recuperated and, and ready to rock for, for this 2011, 2012 season. Because uh, somebody foolishly left the door open, fellas. We are back. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 